This episode of Converge with my guest, Grant Spanier, is sponsored by WeaveWriter. For more information, check out WeaveWriter.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. The new economy requires so much of the entrepreneur. It seems like we have to have skill sets in such diverse and deep areas. It can feel overwhelming. But once in a while, you run across someone who not only understands the breadth and depth that's required to succeed in the world that we live in now, but they embrace it full force. Grant Spanier is one of those guys. As a writer, as a designer, as an entrepreneur, and as a pretty young guy, he has set himself up and put himself on a trajectory for massive success in the future, but also current reality success. And it's the kind of success that I think when we break it down together, you're going to see it. It's more accessible to you too, at least if you're willing to throw yourself in the fray. It's not like I need to sit down and, and write out the pros and the cons of a thing. Is this something I'm interested in? What are the benefits I see really quickly? And bam, you know, you either go for it or you don't. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Grant Svanier, welcome to Converge, the business of creativity. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. You know, I, I love the way that we met. You know, relationships <laughs> are always uh, great vehicles. They're, they're like... Uh, it's all like this instant vouching that happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a chance to get to know uh, Sukneet Singh up at Pioneer Nation, Chris Gillibo's mm -hmm. event. And he and I, it's funny, he, he was a volunteer at the event and I was one of the presenters, but he's just one of those guys that had this remarkable piece about him. You want you hang out with him, you're like, I, anything this guy says or does, I want to hang out with him. Yeah, so, yeah, his, uh, his enthusiasm is infectious. And he, it's just very clear the second you talk to him that he's just like, a well-intentioned human being. <laughs> That's right. He's not taking a. He's a, he's a giver, not a taker. And totally. Uh, so when he recommended that uh, I get a chance to meet you and introduce really me to your work and all that you've done, I've just been pretty mesmerized by all as I've kind of gone through it. And I think partly it's because he set me in the right kind of frame of mind looking at all that you've done. But you've done a significant amount of things. I mean, everything from your ten thousand hours podcast to all the writing you do in Medium. We're going to talk about all this in a moment. Plus all of your the work you're doing with around branding and identity with so many, uh, you know, different cool companies, your mysterious, you know, less, <laughs> less blog. I want to talk about that. And also I think a lot of folks will be interested. Uh, folks who listen to this show, they're like me. We're all big fans of folks like, uh, Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. And you've had a chance to, to really get to know Seth and be a part of his world, uh, for an extended period of time. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but before we get into all those details, um, share a little bit about, First of all, how, how, how old you are. And, sure. uh, and given that uh, kind of perspective as a pretty young guy, the kinds of milestones you've hit on your journey so far. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, uh, that was quite the introduction. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, you know, I, you, it's really hard to like look, view yourself through that lens. Um, so I, I don't quite buy into it, but I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm 23 
and I graduated about a year ago. Uh, I went to college here in in uh, Minneapolis. Yeah, I've just been really, really active, I guess, and just doing stuff for a while. I guess the the short version is uh, coming out of high school and and really growing up. Even I was really, really into reading. I did a ton, a ton of reading, a lot of fiction stuff. And when sports ended in high school, I had all this free time suddenly, and I kind of turned to the one thing that I knew, which was reading, and I wanted to explore the next part of that, which was writing. And so that is what really got me into the whole kind of creative sphere. Then, you know, going into college, I was studying, I think, international business or something kind of unrelated to what my actual interest was, which was I was doing a lot of like uh, short story writing, started getting really interested in projects, whether that was, you know, the short stories I was writing or uh, more entrepreneurial efforts, you know, selling t-shirts, uh, music, putting on shows, just sort of a range of stuff. And then that kind of trajectory, so starting to do things, um, led me into a, a small startup like agency, I think when I was a freshman or a sophomore. And uh, that is really like something that where I cut my teeth, I think, on a lot of stuff. You know, they were selling design work, but they didn't have a designer. So I started designing. I'd come from a writing background, but I got really deep into that because I had to. And eventually, you know, I, was, I started as an intern, but there were so many different projects that needed help. And so I was managing clients. I was writing scripts. I was designing. And I got really, really into that for almost two years, I think. And even during that time, I was freelancing because I realized um, that people needed our services, right? But I could do that as a solo too, outside of outside of that business. So I would feel very, very lucky to have gotten that experience because it gave me a sense of scale and a sense of money, which is where I think a lot of people, you know, uh, artists especially, but a lot of people in my generation too kind of fall off because they can't handle the money thing, which is what we need to enable our art. And so well, I, I kind of, yeah, me, yeah, let sorry. Me, let's slow down there. Well, well it's, <laughs> sure. I'm really... Well, first of all, let me just comment. I, I probably put too much emphasis on the whole age thing because that's only yeah. relevant to old people like me. Uh, ah. You know, I think uh, I think folks that are in their twenty somethings or just coming out of that kind of high school college moment, you're right. I think from their perspective, it's both a kind of an elevation, uh, like there's this mm -hmm. kind of sense of like you're full of potential, uh, and uh, if you're if you assert yourself and and give yourself to things you know it's, it it you stand out and there's a lot of folks who do that really really well but i think at the same time i think what's impressive for folks like from my perspective at least is your that you had the perspective that you had kind of the awakeness to what mm -hmm. you're in the midst of and i love the hustle part of what you're saying but i'm also hearing a couple other pieces like you have an, you had an aesthetic or a taste that you cared about you designified whether or not you're selling t-shirts and more focused on the Kind of infrastructure that goes into, you know, th that kind of what if you're selling anything, widgets, t-shirts, yeah. you know, big machinery to foreign countries. It's still the process of having a thing and making it attractive to somebody else, or at least finding someone else who's looking for that thing mm -hmm. and making it easy for them to get it. And and you had that kind of awareness of that. And even a moment ago, when you talked about you know, uh, young folks dealing with that money thing, like that's a big idea. It's a big concept of because you're you're meaning both getting money and mm -hmm. and not spending it all, uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and investing what you're getting in thoughtful ways. So, mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about that and with a little bit more of a deeper dive. Sure. I mean, one thing you touched on there though was uh, I think is self awareness, which is something I really harp on, and uh, that's something that I I figured out what I wanted to do, and and you know it's an ongoing thing, but that's 
you know, you, once you assert yourself in that way, because you know who you are, it's like everything kind of ties back to that core, sort of in a Simon Sinek golden circle sense. But as far as money and that sort of stuff goes, I think besides just talking to clients and, and having to ask for significant amounts of money um, in order to pay the bills for that, for that one startup, especially early on, it was, it was also about investing my time because I got so busy, you know, not in the cliche, like I'm so busy sense, but I got really, really busy during school because I was trying to balance, you know, a startup and classes and, uh, you know, a life <laughs> outside of those things. And, and all these things require time and energy. And so I started to view that through the investment lens. And so, you know, when, as you get busier, as you, as you start to like break down your life and, and the things you're doing, whether that's even in your business, you have to be smarter about where you invest, uh, what something costs. So sort of doing a cost benefit analysis of things. But, and, but, but, uh, but yeah. doing that, doing that on the fly. I mean, it's not just a, I think sometimes people think cost benefit analysis that they're pulling out some spreadsheet and sure. Yeah. And, yeah. But for you, it's more intuitive, right? You're just constantly totally. asking yourself the question, is this worth my time? Is this worth well, my money? And where does that start? It starts with knowing who you are and what you want, at least to an extent, you know, I, no I also talk, you talk about like sort of an adaptive career path. I think uh, a lot of people get really caught up in this idea of finding the dream job and doing what they love. And you put those things on a pedestal and your expectation is never going to match the reality. So I think you need to be flexible in that. But you do need to have um, a certain sense of where you're going or where you want to go and, and know the kind of things you want to do. And so when, when you know that, then you can adjust on the fly because you, it, you know it intuitively. It's part of who you are. It's part of your gut. It's, it's not like I need to sit down and, and write out the pros and the cons of a thing. Is this something I'm interested in? What are the benefits I see really quickly? And bam, you know, you either go for it or you don't. Mm -hmm. So part of that is also the ability to say no. Yeah. Well, well and is that is that connected? I mean, I mean, as you're as you're describing that, the metaphor that's coming to mind is if you have clarity on you know plot point A, you know you and where you're at today, and plot point mm -hmm. B, you know what true north is for you and what you're trying to accomplish, your vision for where you want to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of that's just my own kind of frame and language. But what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that once you have those two plot points, when a decision comes your way, it becomes really self-evident whether or not you should do it. Mm -hmm. Does that, oh, yeah. is that ballpark? Absolutely. That, that is what it is. And I think it's not always so cut and dry to say, oh, here is my clear, obvious point B. But, um, you know, when, when you're thinking about the direction you're heading, there's like 360 degrees of possibility, right? So if, even if you can narrow that down to a few degrees or 10 degrees and know that little slice that you're aiming at, then it's, it just becomes really easy to stick within those guardrails. In this effort of starting with where you're at and trying to get to this, this vision, what came to mind right away was, okay, so if I'm, if I'm trying to accomplish something, I think a good example, and maybe this would be a good segue to your experience with Seth Godin. What I envisioned Seth, he seems to always be in a perennial approach to like, he's trying to accomplish some big thing, like a huge yep. thing. And, and yet along the way, he has a number of experiments and projects that he does. They all seem to be like home runs, uh, grand yeah. slam home runs. And in truth, I know that he's had plenty, plenty of things that he's tried and uh, hasn't gone as well. I actually think he tells us stuff, that stuff more often just to make us feel less bad about all of our things that we <laughs> that feel for us. But, but in truth, I'm sure that's the case. But that, that kind of ebb and flow of both clarity mm -hmm. of, I know I'm going in the right direction, but I don't know exactly what that new land is going to look like. Yeah. 
yet along the way, he's super concrete around like, I'm going to publish 12 books in one year with Domino Project or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. I guess that's the, the, the I'm trying to get at yeah. uh, the, that tension between making sure you're going in the right direction. And that is a filter to make decisions. And mm -hmm. then there's the other one of, yeah, but I just need to get that particular project accomplished. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of it. There are different levels of that elevation. You know, you back out, back out, back out, and there's this grand scheme or, you know, grand vision uh, for what you care about, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. And as you get closer to the ground, there are, you know, it's a different decision-making process because part of that means, you know, not thinking about this grand vision. I just need to ship this thing. And, right, right. And, and part of that too is you can't predict the outcomes of everything, you know? Even if you start with this vision in mind, uh, the project might change, the circumstances might change. And so you're sort of experimenting. I like the way you phrase that with Seth, because that's what it is. He knows that he can't just predict, you know, the outcome of everything. And so he does experiments. And it's funny that you mentioned like uh, how most or all of his things are grand slams and occasionally the things are fail. I was actually part of one of the things that did not go as well, uh, <laughs> which was Krypton. But I mean, it, it didn't change the experience. In fact, it it kind of heightened it for me. Huh. Um, and I have a good a good little anecdote um, about that. I don't know if well, yeah, give some give yeah. some context for Krypton and sure. And I want to hear the anecdote. Sure. Um, so Krypton Actually, was let, part. Of, let me back yeah. way up because yeah, 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 I, yeah. I know listeners are going to care about this. So let's give a little context. So you had a chance to do. Uh, you called it a Seth turnship, where you yeah. spent. Uh, was it the summer with Seth? And no, it was it was about two weeks um, out in his office, and then I continued to work on the project for a couple months. Okay, and, and you were actually in the legendary room uh, with the two monkeys and the couch. We were, we okay. were in there. Okay, yeah. okay. So, 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 how did you get that gig? Number one, mm -hmm. and then talk tell about tell us about Krypton. Sure. Yeah, uh, you know, he just put an open call out on his blog, which I read, and I've been a longtime Seth fan, read all of his stuff. Um, like you said, you know, there are a lot of people who, who really like Seth and his work. So uh, I followed that. And I had, it was funny because uh, the day he posted that, I had three or four people send me this and say, hey, this is like right up your alley. Yeah. And uh, so the application was, I think it was like a two minute video and of, you know, who you are and, and why you should go. And then just a bunch of questions. And uh, yeah, I, I apply to a lot of things. I send a lot of emails and, and a lot of stuff just doesn't ever get answered. But um. Yeah, when I it was funny because when I got the the accept it felt like a college acceptance letter, but uh, the email from Seth, it, I thought it was a form, you know, like denial. It was like, you know, Grant, there were a lot of uh, people who applied, blah blah blah. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, and you know, my face started to droop, and then it was like, and I'd like to know if you want to come join me in New York, and it was just just bliss, madness, you know. Mm -hmm. He's just a hero, hero of mine, somebody I just I really appreciate the work he's done. So, uh, yeah. So, so then you got into it and you started, mm -hmm. uh, you picked a project and you're working on Krypton and yep. what, what was the hope with that and how did it play out? Totally. So there was, it was a big group, um, a two rice cooker group, as he called it. Uh, there was 17 of us in his office. What, and, what does that mean? The two rice cooker? Group? Uh, so here's the amazing thing. Seth made us lunch every single day, uh, delicious vegan food and, uh, a lot of it involved rice. And so he needed two rice cookers for, for this particular group. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got out there and he sort of started things off. I mean, he did, he did some pretty interesting things. He really pushed us right away. Well, and gosh, we got out there on a, on a Sunday and he had us in his home, um, just to get to know each other and not talk about the project or whatever. And it was all sort of surreal. You know, you, you look up to somebody like that. But, uh, when we did get into the office that first Monday, 
when we started talking about the project, he read us a letter um, that he'd written, sort of a manifesto style thing. And the basic premise was uh, there's access to information, you know, like never before with the internet. Um, and then he started talking about education. And there's these things like MOOCs, these massive online courses. Yeah. And, and anybody can go and get a, the information from a Stanford course. But there's like a 2% completion rate to these classes. And so the premise was that learning really happens together um, with other people in person. And how can we enable that? How can we help people organize? How can we provide them content? So the idea was let's build a platform to disseminate some of this content, help people organize. And we sort of thrashed, as he called it, uh, very quickly right away to figure out the idea and then started building. Got it. And that's what Krypton was, was a new platform yes. for educating. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it, it was to disseminate the content of people like Seth, like Sir Ken Robinson, um, uh, Chris Gillibo, those guys. Yeah. That's sort of, sort of like a bit of in the vein of Ted style uh, content, you know, these big thinkers and then give people a platform to get together uh, in their cities and organize and, and go through this sort of like a, a modified book club in a lot of ways. And it would be in person or was it digital? It, we would provide the content and we would provide the way to communicate with the class. So we would have uh, leaders, organizers get, get a class or a group together um, but then they would meet up and and go through it and go through the homework, go through the the content in person. Got it. Yep. It's funny. I, I uh, actually do a lot of work still in higher education, and this is a perennial conversation. Uh, you know, because everyone's terrified uh, in in the, yeah. in the higher ed world because they're wondering, you know, the value prop and debt and cost, and it's it's a a, a moment like we're sitting in this moment waiting for it to be interrupted radically. And it's already kind of there's tremors right now, but nothing mm -hmm. has really broken it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, everyone gets the sense of like, yeah, something is going to break it. Uh, totally. And I mean, that, that was just like, it, for some reason it reminds me of uh, just like something like Netflix and the internet changing cable, changing movies, changing content consumption. Right. It's like, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. You knew something was going to happen there. Right. And that's, that's happening right now with education. It's crying. I mean, my generation, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, uh, my friends, you know, came out of school and are a little bit pissed off and a little bit confused because they didn't understand what they were getting into. You know, they signed a check, uh, or they signed, you know, up for a lot of debt that they really didn't quite understand. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and the, that's right. Well, and that's a whole other conversation. I think Grant, we're yeah. going to have more than one conversation. Sure, so, that's, that's good. But but let's keep rolling here. So you had that experience, and yep. you went for Krypton, and it didn't it didn't like was there a yeah, revenue so, connection yeah. to it, or what, what was the well, hope? the I think the hope it, we weren't worried about money right away. You know, we wanted it to be free. I think we saw some opportunities with partners. Uh, but we were more concerned about building the platform and building the thing for people to use than we were about the revenue because that wasn't a main goal of the thing. You know, eventually we got to a point where we knew like it wasn't looking good for the completion of the project. We, we were pretty heads down designing. Um, I ended up doing a lot of designing on like the branding and the interface and working with some really, really talented people over there. Um, and we were just having trouble getting the thing to work on the development side. I mean, this was incredibly ambitious to build. In two weeks. A, and yeah, build a big, big platform in two weeks and develop it was ridiculous, to be honest. But I mean, in a good way. Yeah. Um, so there, there came a point in the second week um, where we'd been really, really grinding it out. And uh, I remember we were sitting there and, and we sort of had a conversation like, 
we need to decide today whether or not like we're going to pull the plug on this part, whether we're going to pare down the the size of the thing, what we're going to do. And we had long conversation or we, we had some pretty intense debate that, you know, we were all really emotional about the thing. Sure. And the whole, the whole thing was like a heightened reality, you know, this whole project. And uh, finally Seth came back after we'd had these long debates. And I remember sitting, uh, I was sitting on the couch and there's this gigantic table that everyone's sitting at. And I was opposite Seth way in the back. And I was just sort of, uh, sort of had fizzled out. It was, I'd put in a lot of time, a lot of energy, and I was just beat. And Seth kind of launched into a conversation about the project and where it was going to go. And it was the first time where I kind of was processing that, oh, this thing is like not maybe going to happen mm-hmm. like I thought it was. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the stress of all the things and just sort of decompressing in one moment. I just started bawling. Like just, I mean, not 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 like I get crying it. out loud, but just tears just streaming. I don't think I've ever cried that hard. And um, and he finished this speech about about what was going to happen. And he, he got up and everyone sort of started milling around and he went into the kitchen and I just sort of stood up like a zombie and was just walking around. And he was like, Grant, what's going on, man? Are you, what's going on? And I was I just couldn't talk. I couldn't make words, which was bizarre. And he's like, are you, like what's talk to me? What's going on? And I just said, decompressing. Like it was just bizarre. I was I was lost. Like my my mechanical functions. And um, he 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 was cutting cucumbers on a on a cutting board, and he just he just shoved a cucumber in my mouth, which was the perfect thing. It was amazing. And I knew it was just bizarre. And I was like, thank thank you. And he he started talking to me about uh Bob Dylan, and he said, Grant, if Bob Dylan was on the hook for a Grammy with every album he made. Uh, he would have quit after one, okay? And, and what you got to understand with projects like this is it might not work. Anything worth doing might not work. And this one might not work. And, you know, it was just the perfect little thing I needed to hear. And it was just, it was a, it was a nice little cap on that, on that moment. So I really appreciated him. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. Well, it's, it's fun. Oh, man, that is beautiful. I mean, what a gracious moment. And, he's a generous person. He's a generous human being. Yeah, and but and and the and a master. I mean, the idea of like I don't want to deify the guy, but but he does have enough context and experience where he to bring levity into a moment and not try to play your therapist. Uh, mm-hmm. I think not only brilliant, probably perfect. I mean, it really was perfect. It was just I, there's nothing better that could have happened right there. Yeah, and and I'm guessing that probably happened to him someday. You know, years behind him, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, I guess what I'm hearing in that for folks who are listening is, you know, there's a lot of people that you have to get to a point where you care about your project, where you give yourself all to it. And, and even if it fails, then you have to designify it. And I, I guess that's, it's that kind of going all in. And then if it hits great, if it the, at least hits the way you're expecting it to hit, mm-hmm. uh, if it fails, then great. But also the sense of like, there's just parts of it you can't control. And really, are you doing the work again? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it seemed like that effort with the cucumber on his part was really to help you get over your decompression and just yeah. re- reset and get back to what you want to be about. Yeah, it was it was a reboot and it, it was exactly what I needed. I was just sort of in a daze and just needed a cucumber in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's Twitter worthy. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. so we're going to um, we're going to. Switch gears here. I want to hear a little bit about your projects that you're working on right now. So you have your sure. ten, you have your ten thousand hour podcast. You mm-hmm. you have your less blog and more. It's more than a blog. It's really mm-hmm. it seems like an agency of some sort. It's my business, yeah. Right. And then um, you do a lot of writing on Medium. So mm-hmm. let's take those in turn. Tell me a little bit. About, sure. And we're short on time because and I want to honor your no time. worries. But uh, tell me a little bit about your your uh, podcast. 
Yeah, so podcast actually started out uh, when I was on the project. It was something I'd been looking for a brand, a thing for some of the conversations I wanted to have uh, to live under. And um, actually, when we were out there, it was really cool. Uh, Gladwell had like sent him a copy, like a manifest or uh, one of the like a manuscript of his new book. And um, Seth let us uh, look through it. And I was sitting there. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, outliers. And I thought back to it and I was like, this is the perfect thing. Because um, I'd met a guy named Josh Long. Who I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Sure. Um, but he's great. Uh, does a Happy Monday podcast. And he was talking to me about podcasting and these things. And um it, anyway, decided on the on the name Ten Thousand Hours, and Josh gave me a lot of guidance for that. I started working on it right when I got back, and that sounds opportunistic on your part. So you, you kind of had like insider trading on a book that nobody oh, really totally. knew about, and you read it, it resonated, and you you jumped on it. Yeah, well, so I mean, I, I, it just it just jogged my memory because it wasn't that book that I was pulling the idea from. It was Outliers, which is um, the Ten Thousand sure. Hour Rule was you know first, but but yeah, that was amazing too. It was this whole the whole trip was really surreal. I. Yeah, I could talk for a long time about it, but um, yeah. So it, it so, was just it so was that, something a long time coming. So that particular was it was it David and Goliath or which which book? Yep. Okay, yep. so so David and Goliath comes in the mail. You're reminded of ten thousand hours mm-hmm. and and that concept and how that resonated with you, and then you jumped in. Um, yeah. and then and that and I loved how you framed. You wanted a brand that you could have the conversations under, and for me, that's giving me tons of language because that's you know with my with this podcast and other work that I've done in the past. I have a hard time. I get the questions all the time. Like, well, why are you doing that? Cause it, yeah. and for me, it's, it's exactly that. It's like this great vehicle to, to have the conversations that I want to have for me mm-hmm. that I hope are valuable for those who are listening. And yeah, I, it I frames it. Yeah. Brilliant frame. So let's jump from there to, to less. Tell me about your yep. company. Yep. So, uh, like I said before, I was working at that startup. I was freelancing quite a bit, and once I left that startup, I adopted Less as my freelance guys. It was just me right away, and Less is really based in simplicity, in uh, distilling things down to the most powerful form, which is very much my aesthetic and my my approach to creative work. And you know, after a couple months of that, I picked up some some bigger clients and brought in some subcontractors. So it's been around for almost two years now. And it's kind of fluctuated in the model, but the original idea, it's called Lesco. It was less collective. It just like 10,000 hours, it's a brand that uh, I can use to to have a certain type of work live under and use it as a vehicle to get the kind of projects I want and work with the kind of people I want to work with. Um, And so I do, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the mystery of the place because when you go to the website itself, (laughs) uh, it's... uh... It's the unique well, experience. <laughs> yeah, sure. It, I mean, it's basic. It's basically, uh, it's part of the ethos of less, which is, you know, less is most is what we say. And there's not a whole lot on the website, right? Um, but it's also sort of just a, w- a way for me to avoid updating it, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> That's not true. I don't believe you. I don't, yeah. it's, too, it's too good. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just part of the part of the mystery, part of the experience. A lot of the conversations I had with Seth, even on the project, you know, he spent some time with each one of us and talked to us about our businesses, about our trajectory, what we were doing, which was incredibly generous. And uh, a lot of the one of the one of the really good anecdotes he gave us, and he gave us a lot, was talking about uh, knowing your customer and knowing what they're buying. You know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, you think you think a customer is buying one thing, but really maybe they're just buying a sense of security and knowing that you're the obvious choice, or maybe they're just buying X or X or X. And so part of less is, is kind of creating an experience for people. Um, and it attracts the type of people I want to work with. And, and, uh, it's a good, good guys so far. And then on top of all that, you're writing like crazy on medium. Talk about your experience on medium. Sure. Yeah. Medium has been great. Um, 
originally it was just a way to it just it gets out of the way it gets all of the like design of the thing out of the way and it's just you have a really great platform to write and it's opened me up to a much bigger audience i wrote a post called uh, living for monday which ended up being uh, like most recommended on medium and that man i've never gotten response like that so many emails so many responses it was really really cool so i'm a huge fan of that platform and i've actually kind of been um guarding a lot of my writing right now because i'm I'm trying to put it into more of a a concrete package and and have some more like concrete themes. So yeah, hopefully I'm gonna have a lot of new stuff in the next couple of months. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've been doing something similar. I've been writing a thousand words for the last, I don't know, 150 days or so. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And uh, but but it's funny, I I publish rarely right now because mm-hmm. it's more what you're describing of like it's the hard work is not the writing, the hard work is the the iterating of how the you know mm-hmm. how, how to playlist all these ideas, uh, calling it down, right? Forming the thing, yeah. And and, it's, and I just published my first uh, article on Medium, and I was uh-huh. I was surprised because I'm kind of an I'm philosophically I don't like the idea of of you know uh, sharecropping uh, yeah. my content, but Medium really did cause me to pause. I not only was the response really encouraging, mm-hmm. but but the platform itself is aesthetically beautiful. I, I wish mm-hmm. you could write in Markdown on it. That's too bad. Yeah, but but uh, but it's it's powerful, and um, so now I'm playing with different ways to engage it. But you're right; it's it's a a very kind of subversive disruptor. It's almost like mm. it's almost, and I've heard some people some people call it like um, for those who are unfamiliar with medium, it's like YouTube for writers, mm. and, and it, but but more of a kind of a deeper, long form approach. Is that how would you frame it? Yeah, I mean, their medium is all about stories and sharing and in that content and but it's it's beautiful and i think part of their part of their ethos is that stories should look beautiful and they should be easy to write and what it does is it kind of levels the playing field for everybody and so what that means is it's not about just like the greatest design and the best looking stuff it's hey everyone deserves this and so it's all sort of on that same level i mean and that medium was a project from ev um, right, who, and he started, was it Blogspot back in the day and then to Twitter. And so I feel like this is like iteration two of Blogspot. Right now. And that, and that totally makes sense. He's trying to interrupt. I, I mean, it's kind of the blog for everyone. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I, I remember it was, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago now, maybe longer when everyone was believing that blogging was dying and like, mm-hmm. let's throw our stuff up on places like Facebook, which never felt right. And, mm-hmm. and then Google plus came along and that made a little more sense uh, for the few of us who actually use that platform, but medium just feels like, like a custom tool, like a custom fit. Yeah. It's a good home. It's a good home for the work. And, and, uh, you know, it, what it does is what I like is it makes it more accessible. You don't have to go, cause a lot of people just can't figure out or kind of don't want to spend the time to figure out how to set up a WordPress and maintain and whatever. And it's just a nice place for people to publish stuff. Yeah. Now, now what, what about that though? Like to not own your content and to put it on that platform, any thoughts on mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, so I actually got, uh, I had a long conversation about this right away when I started publishing on Medium because I had done it really quickly. Um, I'd gotten into the the system right away and uh, what, because it was invite only for a little bit, I think, or they were doing some sort of thing, kind of like a Pinterest style, you know, that, you know, that goes, but yeah, um, right, I remember. Uh, there was some pushback on that. And I said, at where I'm at in, in my writing, in my career and whatever is I don't care where this lives. I don't need to own this. I just want to get my ideas out. I just want to, I'd rather have access to a bigger audience than have, you know, I'd rather have 200 people read it on Medium than 100 people read it on my site, you know? 
So, cause I mean, a lot of my identity and our work, it lives across all these platforms. And I feel like there's less of a, an issue to have it go back to your home base, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, that, this is a whole other conversation. And Grant, sure. we, we are going to have to have more of these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I, I, I'm, I wrestle with that on, on, on a number of fronts. Have you ever considered like cross-posting, like putting... Uh, yeah, and there, there's no problem with that either. I think that's like a, a totally, totally decent strategy. And I'm, I'm rebooting my personal site right now. Some really, really awesome dudes helping me out with that. And that's something I'm going to do. I just... Well, from, from uh, podcast to writing to content work for clients... It, truly, your enthusiasm inspires, and I have a hunch there's going to be a lot of folks who are listening who go, not only are you going to check out the stuff, but I hope are invited into a deeper conversation, one where um, they're watching and learning what's possible uh, when you really assert yourself. Um, and also, I, I'm just stoked to to have a new uh, a new colleague in this in this biz because um, people who take this kind of work seriously, uh, it, it is inspiring, and you inspire. So thanks so much, man. Oh, thank you, man. I think you're, uh, you're really generous to have these conversations and to, to share this sort of stuff with people. So thank you. This was episode 025 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Convergepodcast.com is our home where you'll find past episodes as well as Go, our annual gathering for creatives looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by Triple Scoop Music. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for her audio production. And a special thanks to Grant for being with us. Visit him at twitter.com forward slash Grant Spanier. As usual, I also want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a really big deal. And we're grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dave Sanders. I'll see you here next time.